Welcome to Fearless in Devotion, a brand new podcast all about Wrexham AFC. Whether you've been a supporter for decades, have only known our non-league wilderness years, or if you're one of the Red Dragons' new international fans, we've got plenty of light-hearted Wrexham-related content for everyone over the weeks and months to come, including reminiscing about our favourite Wrexham moments, as well as ex-player interviews. Well, as it's the first ever Fearless in Devotion podcast, we should introduce ourselves. We're four diehard Wrexham fans, uh, Rhys Williams, Andy Gilpin, Tim Edwards and Liam Randall. Uh, Tim, first, you're the man behind the Fearless in Devotion Twitter account that's familiar to many Wrexham supporters. Why don't you tell us, first of all, where it kind of all began for you as a fan? Um, it began for me as a fan, I think it was 1991. I, I remember my mum taking me to watch a game versus Maidstone United. Um, on the cot and I remember being a pretty drab game so not a great deal has changed <laughs> over the years um, <laughs> but there was a referee called Gurnam Singh and I just remember him in a particularly rubbish game he was just dreadful and there was a Maidstone United player being tackled he's on the floor the ball had come to him almost like he was sitting cross-legged he grabbed the ball with both hands got up and played on and the referee was standing out yards away from him, didn't give any form of handball, didn't penalise it. And I was like, what is going on? And I just thought, is this the kind of, you know, bizarre craziness you get at this level? Is it always like this? I don't know. I just, I just kind of, you know, I, I suddenly discovered that Wrexham had a local league team. It wasn't all about the bigger clubs. Um, and yeah, that was kind of it really after that. No looking back, there was nothing specifically that drew, drew me in other than being taken to my first game and yeah I think you either get it straight away or it takes a bit of time or you don't it's 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 as plain as simple as that really well Andy Andy Gilpin Wrexham fans will be familiar with your eloquent columns in the Daily Post where your thoughts on on Wrexham can be found from time to time uh, where did it all start for you uh, can I first just say I remember Gurnan Singh as well but I don't think it was that game so I think he might have been a repeat offender uh, where did it start? So it was uh, a Saturday afternoon with my uncle Bob, late 80s. I was really quite young and probably not even that much into football. I can remember it was a one-all draw with Mansfield. I missed both goals because I was in the toilet. But really and truly for me, it, was, it wasn't really about what was on the pitch. It, I was looking everything else I was looking at the crowd I was looking at what the managers were doing I was looking at what the linesman was doing even even you know the mascot the the advertising board there was just so much going on for me there I'd, I hadn't really seen football live before and so to put it you know to go to that stadium it, you know it wasn't it wasn't a great game it wasn't full but there was so much going on there that I was just hooked and even the fella to two rows back swearing you know you haven't really seen that before it's like you're a part of something a bit a bit risque or or a bit different to like the playground now lastly Liam Liam Randall known on Red Passion as Fez Bob you've obviously followed the club since you were a boy too uh, what's your earliest memory uh, I think it was uh, sort of late 90s. It was a season that Man City were down the same um, league as us. And my first game, I actually went with my uncle Paul and uh, my cousin Andrew. We were both avid Man City fans. So it was a bit of a weird dynamic to it. We were in the Rex end, but they were trying their best to shut up. I think City beat us. 
Um, but something Andy said chimed in really. I was more interested in what was going on off the pitch. I couldn't actually tell you a single thing at that age about what happened on the pitch. It was more interested in, I think I was most interested in the fact you could watch the match from the turf balcony. I could see these people oh, going yeah. in, in and out of the turf balcony. I was thinking, how is it that you can actually watch a football match on there? That, that was the, the single most interesting thing to me during that game. I was sort of interested afterwards. But yeah, for strange reason. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, lastly, for me, then I'm the last one to introduce, introduce themselves. Uh, people may be wondering why a bloke with a Swansea accent is a Wrexham fan. It, it makes no sense, really. My dad's uh, Neath Valley's boys from Resolven. And uh, when he was in school... Uh, you know, you're put under pressure in the playground and you know, to, to pick whatever team you're playing as and everyone was either Swansea or Cardiff or then Liverpool or United or whatever. And he was like, well, what about the other Welsh team? No one's, your, no one's them, so I'll be Wrexham. And that then just evolved into him becoming a proper fan when he moved to North Wales um, for university. And, you know, he watched some great sides, obviously, in the 70s. But he did one thing that's always stuck with me, actually, is he talked about more than anything, the, the end of the 76-77 season. And, and he always told me about the last two games of that season where I think we needed a point from the last two games against Palace and Mansfield to get promoted to the old Division Two. But we lost both. And I think that's just the best sort of introduction to following Wrexham you could ever possibly get and I just kind of inherited that support like most sons do so uh, I just sort of spend my time like you guys following Wrexham recently at places like Solihull and Aldershot and Sutton while all my mates on my mum's side of the family are watching City and United and Liverpool at sort of the Liberty Stadium but I suppose for the first time in the last 15 years there's a maybe a hope we can replicate some of Swansea's success it's an exciting time for the club isn't it it feels different than it has done for quite a long time we should also clarify that you are not jason mohammed <laughs> for the appointment <laughs> out which you've already alluded to that you you sort of sw- share the same sweet dulcet tones as uh as that. <laughs> well no i'm not jason mohammed it's not jason mohammed under a pseudonym no no but it does, it does feel different at the moment, doesn't it? Like, as a Wrexham fan, I feel like more hopeful than we have done for quite some time. Yeah, I think it says, you know, it's something that it's just a feel-good factor when you go around the town, you know, just walking past the ground at the minute. I mean, I think there's still some anticipation for actually when the, you know, the new owners come over. I think there'll be even more of a buzz once they've been to the town for the first time as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, we finally got something tangible to grasp onto. It's not you know, the hope has now been replaced by genuine expectation, you know, and quite rightly. 13 seasons in, non-league, we've had a few close, well, last year's close call with, you know, potential relegation. Um, And we've had, you know, the 98-point season and and a few other dances with the playoffs, which it never really, was never really our year. It's always our year, but it sometimes never pans out that way. So, yeah, there's definitely a feel-good factor around the town. A lot of people that, that I know who didn't really, you know, give Wrexham the time of day are now saying, yeah, I can't wait to go. So, you know, you have to embrace it. It's not our exclusive little club anymore for, you know, five to 8,000 core followers. It's, it's going to be opening up for, to a hell of a lot of new um, potential long-term fans. And, you know, you have to embrace that. I mean, it does look it's like it's getting all set off the field. I like the rumblings from the club about what they're looking to do. 
you know, developing a women's team, look, concentrating more on the youth, building a, a proper training ground. I mean, that that's stuff that we've been crying out for for the last couple of years. So it does feel that we're going the right direction there. Obviously, there's still some dissenting voices about what, what we're seeing on the pitch. I mean, at the moment, we can't really argue with one defeat in 10. I mean, I, I, I myself have been quite, quite sort of, I wouldn't say annoyed, but quite sort of underwhelmed by, by the way we play. But, you know, yesterday away at Sutton, we got a good point. And, and so that sets us up for two, for two games where we can really attack. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's a nice link into discussing yesterday's point. Um, you can't argue with it, was it? I think I described it as defensively brilliant and offensively offending because, you know, we, we just didn't do much up top apart from, you know, the Reese Johnson shot in the first five minutes. Um, you know, it was nip and tuck. The, the, both, both teams are trying to sound each other out. Um, and, you know, defend, defences prevailed on both parts. So, yeah, you know, you look at it in the cold light of day today and you have to say it's it's a really good point against a very tough team who will be there or thereabouts come the end of the season. I think yesterday was almost a free hit. I mean, you've got a team going quite well, probably the form team in the division on their plastic pitch, you know, away from home. They're in great form. I don't really think that we can criticise the performance because especially that we, we got a point from it. It was yeah. it was hard work. It was a hard watch. I thought the front men did okay. They ran ran really hard, but there was not really anything backing them up from midfield. But saying that, I thought defensively we were very solid. Kelleher played really, really well. And at the end, you know, I wasn't happy with the performance as I haven't been for, for most of the season, but I'm happy with the point and I'm happy with the position in, in the league. Yeah, I mean... You know, there's not a great deal more can be can be said about it. There's another good link. Yeah, there's another good link to. Let's move on. It wasn't. I, I wasn't just say that I thought the reaction to it, some of it was a bit over the top. Like I, I haven't actually looked until this morning when someone mentioned it. I was like, I don't know. I'm I'm usually quite cynical after games, and you know, I'll have a go a bit. But I just I just thought I couldn't argue with that performance yesterday. Really, I can't see anything to be overly critical of. You can't complain about, you know, they, they'd won five in a row. They're the best team in the division in terms of points per game. I mean, I think they're only a couple of points behind Torquay with, what, three games in hand or whatever? You know, you, you can't go there and just start spraying the ball around because you're going to get beaten 3-0. Do you know what I mean? There's, there's, there's no point. Anyway, yeah, I don't think there's a huge amount more we can say about that second game. It was not a classic, but... Um, as we mentioned in the intro, we have got plenty of features lined up for you in this podcast and in... The podcast to come, including special guests, uh, but our first regular feature uh, is inspired by possibly the greatest football anthem of all time, obviously, Wrexham is the name, and it's where we'll be asking uh, each other and any future guests we have on for their most fearless in devotion moments following the town. First up with their fearless in devotion moment is Andy Gilpin. Andy, first of all, tell us the idea behind the feature. So when we were thinking through this podcast, I thought we've got an opportunity here to explore what really makes Wrexham FC, its supporters and the town tick. I mean, I've always been fascinated more in what it is to be a fan, sometimes more than the game itself. Why do we spend so much of our leisure time on something that can make us so miserable? We don't pay £60 for a concert knowing there's a 50% chance it will make us angry. You know, we'll, we'll shout at the band all the way through and trudge off no at the end. No surfing. 
yeah, you know, you pay all that money, you trudge off at the end and no one can speak to you for a few hours. But that's what we do with football. And if you boil it down, following Wrexham, it, sometimes it just isn't fun, but we do it and we do it time and time again, thinking that, you know, the next time will be different. But, you know, we're Wrexham fans. We've suffered a lot over the years. We're used to it. We've spent 13 years in non-league football. You know, we've experienced all sorts of dreadful luck in that time. We've nearly gone out of business. We've come up against clubs like Fleetwood and Jamie Vardy and his pomp, you know, clubs with lots of money and probably not as big a fan base as us. We've lost players and managers at key times. We've replaced them with people that just aren't right. I mean, you can't swap Curtis O'Bank for Danny Alfie, can you? I mean, you know, think of all the crap grounds. I we've played. Been to. I played with Danny Alfie, so be careful. He's from these. <laughs> I played for him with Dunvant and Dunvant and three crosses under elevens, I think. But I take. I take your point. Danny Alfie hasn't really made it in the game, has he? Because at the end of the day, he was no direct replacement for Curtis O'Bang. And any t- any team that signs one of your better players and gives you one of their reserves, you know, is probably not going to be as good. But no you comment. know. All through, all through this period in non-league, I mean, we've done crap grounds. We've seen so many dodgy referees. We've had Tyler Garrett, which is probably the worst <laughs> player I think I've ever seen in the flesh. And then there's Gary Mills. But, you know, we still keep going. There's probably more of a hardcore of us now than ever, really. I hope that's because it's a grand old community club something that means something to people. And sort of like the real bedrock of that was laid before even these two Hollywood guys came in. And, you know, we feel something for this club, even though it foils us at every turn. And so I thought Fearless in Devotion as like a name and as sort of like a feature seems quite apt because I think it's probably worth spending a little time thinking about all the occasions where we go that little bit extra for this club. I mean, you know, it's all relative. If they're doing well, you get excited. You do, we do stupid things. You, you yeah. change your whole weekend plan around. I can remember mammoth weekends away when I, you know, I, I, I do it just to see if we can slip into ninth. I can remember once <laughs> I left. Yeah, I remember once I left my place in Clandidno at 9 p.m. one Friday night and I drove to my mum's in Penakai. So that's, that's an hour before you start. I got up at 6 a.m., drove on my own to Chiswick to, to, see, to pick up my mate. We got a train. We got a tube. We then jumped on the train again. We got have to get replacement bus. Then we got a real bus. And then in, eventually got a taxi. So eventually we get to Braintree at 20 past two in the pub, looking forward to the game, the game that was called off 10 minutes later. You know, <laughs> it's, you know, it's expensive. It's time consuming and it's soul destroying. But I'll remember that day vividly for the rest of my life, much more than if we'd gone there and just fall into our customary 1-0 defeat. Did you, you know get but, back the same day? Uh, I stayed. What happened? So we went to watch Chelmsford versus Staines. It was <laughs> 4-3, and I don't think I left the bar. I actually went to the bar once. I went for a piss. Saw a Staines lad scored with a 35-year-old volley. I just sort of went, mm. went back to playing cards, <laughs> watching Soccer Saturday. <laughs> just so defeated by the whole weekend. But yeah, saying that, every now and, you know, every now and then it sort of comes off. I think the biggest example of this, probably for everyone, was the trophy final in 2013. Mm. I mean, let's not forget the weather before that game. North Wales was a whiteout. It was the worst snow anyone can remember. People had to dig themselves out and jump on buses. Yet we still took, was it right, 27,000 to London? And they yeah, got, there any, any, yeah, got there any way they could. I mean, I took an extra day off work and left early because I couldn't miss it. No one could. 
after years of being where we were, it, this just felt so important. It was Wembley for the first time in our history, and we needed that pick-me-up at that time. I think we needed to remember why it was all worth it. I think that day also recharged a generation of Wrexham fans. You, could have gone, you couldn't have gone to that game and not have felt proud about the team, the players, the town or its people. And, you know, we're Wrexham fans, so we always concentrate on the lows. But you need those to make the highs. Yeah, hundred percent. I remember, I remember that day because I I was coming from far nearer. I went, I was I was in Union Reading at the time, so I was my dad drove from Swansea, picked me up, and we were there was genuine talk, wasn't there, about sort of um, the kickoff being moved back. Like the morning was all about like are people actually going to be able to make it in time? It seemed uh, pretty hairy for for a time. I fell on my backside there, uh, running to Wrexham General Station from my mum and dad's house, so I've still got the scars from that day. I mean, I, I can remember that match and like, it was 12 people and it was like all friends from all over the country. Like my mate from Barnsley and his dad came, um, Scottish Pete, he's from Scotland, he came. Um, just thought I'd clarify that. Like a lot, two or three friends from home, you know, it just felt like such an occasion. There was one lad who came down with me uh, called Watty from Clan Didno. Like he came, he it was quite a big event. It was quite a lot of people there, but he didn't say a word all through the weekend. And I thought he must have had a horrible time. And I texted him a couple of days later. I said, sorry about that. You must have hated it. He goes, I've had the best weekend I've had in ages. It was absolutely fantastic. I think I wasn't, I'm pretty sure you and I were in the press box, weren't we, Andy? Was that, was that the Newport game? No, that was the, that I think I was in the, I was in the press box for the Newport game and I was in the press box for the other playoff final, but I right. vowed to myself that one because we'd never been to Wembley before yeah. that I was just going to enjoy it normally. Yeah. What was the game where a pair of false teeth came flying through the press box? Was that the trophy final? Uh, <laughs> I might have imagined that, but I remember someone saying that. I'm have you been taking peyote been... again, Liam? <laughs> <laughs> Not again. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, Liam. Sorry, it's Wrexham. I meant Spice. <laughs> I can't comment on that. <laughs> Not because I've taken it, I haven't, just for clarity. Jesus. Um, I, yeah, that was, that was a hell of a weekend. Um, and yeah, I was doing some of the, some of the stuff for the club. And I just remember um, having a picture with Jay Harris and the trophy afterwards in the sort of underbelly of Wembley Stage. I'm thinking, this is it. This is, this is our springboard to get him back in the league, surely, because the momentum we, we, we'd had that season, you know, we were flying. That was that season, wasn't it? 98-point one. Or was mm. it? Yeah, it was. It was the season after. It was the season after. Was it, yeah. It was the season. Newport final season, yeah. Yeah, yeah which is a long time ago now. Um, but, yeah, great, great day. Um, but, yeah, I think, all looking back, we would have swapped it for a win against um, Newport. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. I just don't like to talk about that game anyway. <laughs> no, I can't. Let's not talk about the Newport game, please. Wait, but I, I mean, I rem what I remember thinking about the FA Trophy final was because, it, again, that was another really quite poor game, to be honest. 90 minutes was awful. An extra time, we absolutely battered them, didn't we? Like, um, what's their keeper's name, the Grimsby keeper? I can't oh, it was James. Oh, He's Sean Pearson's mate. Oh. That's it, yeah. Well, he was on fire, wasn't he? Like literally saving everything. And I remember me and my dad were both just saying, it's like, this has got us losing on penalties all over it. Like, you know, it would just, app, or even they were going to break away and score. So we won. It felt like, God, this is our year. And then obviously Newport had to beat us in the final, so it wasn't. James McKeown. That was That's the one. Him. Yeah. That's him. That Danny James Wright, McKeon. that save from Danny Wright was one of the best I've seen oh. at that level. 
been incredible. On yeah. Yeah. Unreal. But as you say, I don't even remember the game much. I just remember the bits around it. And so how happy and pleased I was to be a Wrexham fan that day. I can remember me and my mate Chris. And I, I'm sure I wasn't crying. I think Chris was crying, but I'm pretty hard. So I, I probably didn't cry. But it was definitely emotional. And the best bit was, went to the Weatherspoons after, met Carl Connolly. Yeah. Wow, a, a massive oh. Weatherspoons dead long one right, I know yeah that. absolutely huge I felt so, it was Carl Conley and Gary Bennett I saw I clocked them both and I'll be honest like like a Bugs Bunny cartoon there was hearts in my eyes but I only <laughs> I only had eyes I only had eyes for Connolly I felt a bit sorry for Benny <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. all right well that's a good uh, time to move on to our next regular feature which is history only tells a story where we'll be sort of delving back through the archives for some of our favourite Wrexham-related clips. Anyway, Tim, uh, you've picked one this week. Uh, you're up first. What, what's your first pick? Um, it's a bit of a, 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 not a one out of left field, but with it being Joey Jones's 66th birthday this week, I think we made mention to it this week that it'd be nice to to, to launch it with a, a Joey clip. Um the, mon- the wonders of modern technology, they don't have a vast amount of Joey clips available. Lots of him talking, lots of him breaking opposition players in half with some slightly <laughs> overzealous tackling. Um, but yeah, not much more in the way of that. Um, so yeah, I, I dug one out um, from when I spoke to him a while back. And so basically it, it's from 1982. It's um, Wales versus Yugoslavia, away in, in, in Yugoslavia. It's a four-all draw. Um, I can't think of it. If it was, I think it was a World Cup qualifier. I can't remember if it was Euro or World Cup. But it was four each. Um, it's Joey's sole goal for Wales. He did score a couple of own goals. But from a legitimate <laughs> point of view, it's the only goal he scored for Wales um, by all accounts. And uh, that's from the man himself. And that's after, what, 72 or 78 Wales caps or whatever. So, yeah. Um, do you want to watch the clip? Yeah, let's do it. It's a lack of commentary, but there is some lovely Yugoslav background noise. <laughs> How has he got it in from there? It's basically on the on the line. Yeah, so it's it's a bit of a random one, and the reason I chose it um, is when Joey was. I interviewed him for Spirit 58, sort of one-off fanzine, about a couple of months before Euro 2016. And um, we were talking, you know, just in general football stuff. And I said, well, you know, tell me about about your time for Wales. And um, like I said, 70, 72 caps, um, a couple of own goals in that time. And the one goal, this being that clip. Um, and this is what he said to me, word for word. Said, I scored. I scored against Yugoslavia in a four-four away draw. It was a twenty-five-inch drive, and the keeper still got a hand to it. So, and it's true because it is literally. I don't know. It bounces. It comes from a corner. It's like rubbish, sort of slapstick defending. Joey's clutching the, the sort of the the byline, um, the goal line, and basically falls to him. He just literally, you know, sidewinders one in from literally 25 inches or whatever he says. And the keeper still managed to get a hand to this shot. And then Joey wheels away, right arm aloft in sort of slight bewilderment. And, and he's just overjoyed, uh, shocked. I can't remember what, what part of that 
um, phase of goals it was. But yeah, it was just just I, I wasn't sure if he was downplaying it. Um, but it turns out it is as, as as crappy and as scrambled a goal as you like to see from a from a defender. So yeah, it was. Um, I just thought let's 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 mark Joey's birthday week by by talking about his only goal for his country. It's exactly the goal you expect to happen in an Eastern Bloc country in the early eighties. <laughs> the yeah. keeper looks about five foot nine, and he still sort of saved it. <laughs> Does anyone see the Soviet army in the corner as well? I was was quite brave with the corner taker. I wasn't sure if it was Brian Flynn taking the corner, but I don't think it was. A similar height, but I don't think it's him. Uh, It looked like moustaches on the go from that. (laughs) Whoever took the corner looked like David O'Leary in a fun mirror. (laughs) (laughs) Right, how many goals did Joey score in his career then? So I'm having a look on Wikipedia now. Out of 594 games in his career how many goals eight six wow you really don't rate joey jones the poker do you <laughs> liam joey, if you're listening we do really oh, still love you just so that he doesn't because I've, I've i already had a fret once after a column i wrote um i'll go for uh, 12 goals for joey i'll be nice to him <laughs> well you're all wrong in 594 games he got 27 goals Ooh. he got yeah, he got three for Liverpool during his spell there. And then in his latter, he, got, he must be playing up front in his latter spell for for Liverpool. Oh, sorry, for, for Wrexham. From 87 to 92, 132 games, 11 goals. He was prolific. He would be our top <laughs> scorer this season. Yeah, Unreal. I've got to say, I, I always believed in you, Joey. I, I never doubted that you got that many goals. So. <laughs> so come on, Liam, tell us about the threat you got after this column. Well, I, I think I'd written something about how the youth, it was something to do with how we needed to get back to the Wrexham way, essentially, and, um, you know, trying to bring young players through again. And I don't think I really properly slagged the youth system off. But um, the next day, Rob Griffiths, who was covering Wrexham at the time, comes in and says, uh, oh, someone's not happy about your column. I was going, oh, here we go. Who, who is it now? Joey Jones. And sometimes when, it, you know, someone says, oh, someone's not happy, you think, oh, it doesn't really matter. But when he said it was Joey Jones, I sort of, I don't know, I just kept an eye out when I was uh, leaving the house for the next few days or so. <laughs> of all the people you want to piss off, though, that's not the one, is it? No, I mean, Joey was great, though. I, I remember when I was first covering the club and I used to like, phone the club up and Joey used to answer the phone and he used to do a different voice every time. <laughs> so whoever it was, like, it was Wrexham Dog Pound, it was the local Chinese, probably can, couldn't get away with that one anymore. But, <laughs> but, but it just shows that, it, you know, he was... He was really happy with what where he was and what he was doing and, and you know how he's affecting the club and he was just a real good presence to have around the place. Yeah, you know, every time at the end of the game, he used to come down, go to the press, and have a quick chat with Joey. Joey used to be there. You know, you'd go to every game, quick five minute chat with him about the game, about anything else that was on his mind. Just a good bloke to talk to. Okay, give who can you know people might be listening to this who. Uh, maybe a bit new to Wrexham, who can sum up how much of a legend Joey Jones is for the club? I, I, I do, if if this was on on YouTube, I would do it in a motion. I would clench my fist towards the uh, <laughs> towards the cop because that was his famous sort of clench fist salute. But I think Joey, just for a few reasons, one, he's he's a local lad. He's a Welsh international. He's as hard as nails. He went to Liverpool, they loved him. He came back to Wrexham, we loved him. He went to Chelsea, they especially loved him down there. 
you know, he came back, he had three separate spells with the club. He's, he's done the youth system. He's been a coach. He's been a caretaker manager. He really has epitomized Wrexham's, all, all that's good about Wrexham. So I think Joey definitely is a bona fide club legend. Very humble, very down to earth. Um, you know, Mischievous. Yeah, very funny guy. Um, very effervescent and, 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 and amenable. Yeah, he'd still help an old granny cross the road, and, and, and nobody been in the wisest. To, to Unless it was that. Liam's That's granny. Kind of like the measure of the... <laughs> Unless it was Liam. Well, I, I never knew. Liam or I never with actually him. knew him as a player, but I do remember when I was a kid. I I always knew who Joey Jones was. Uh, I think it's because my auntie would point him out uh, walking his dogs around Irving or Acton Park or wherever it is he goes most days. Uh, you just knew who he was all the time. I remember um, that before one of the the, the playoff um, legs against Luton Town at home. I was doing some stuff for the club, press stuff, and um, got there early just to make sure everything was in order. And Joey, Joey was just like bounding around like a sort of gazelle. Like, what, what, what's he up to? And he kind of said, oh, yeah, I'm, I've gone, basically gone into the Luton Town changing room and basically uh, had messed with all the electrics and the plugs so they couldn't play any music to get them pumped up for it. Every <laughs> little trick he could do. He would pull to give it to give Rexham even the slightest advance. He's like, they're not fucking partying, not happening. And that was it. So yeah, and off he went. He was just he was just like like a sort of the sort of jokey kid in the classroom that was getting away with these little gags, but you know, for the for the greater good. It's time for our last feature of the podcast. It's name also inspired from the club anthem. Wrexham is the name, of course, the Mighty Heroes, where each week we'll nominate one player in each position to be considered for that slot. So after 11 weeks, of course, we'll have our ultimate first team. Today, we'll be doing goalkeepers. Liam, why don't you start? Who have you brought to the table? Um, So just to set the scene with this one, um, as I mentioned, I sort of started watching Wrexham a little bit late 90s, but the first time I regularly watched them was early 2000s. Um, sort of goalkeepers around then, we had the likes of um, Kevin Dearden, who I remember for robbing a kid's sweets at halftime in an FA, uh, FAW match, um, and Christian Rogers. So no one really spectacular. So the first keeper that really I saw and thought, that is what a decent keeper looks like, was um, Andy Dibble. I think he was getting on a bit in years by the time he came to us. I think he was around, I, I actually read it up before before this, it said he was 37, which I was quite surprised by. He looked um, older. Yeah, he did. <laughs> but he was just such a, he, he was a really sort of commanding presence. I wouldn't say necessarily say anything spectacular, but I just think it was so important to have his experience in that squad. Um, you know, have players like that alongside players who were coming through, like I would say it was Carlos Edwards's sort of breakthrough season and, and players like that. So just to have an experienced man like uh, Dibble there was really important. Yeah. Okay, so Andy Dibble is the first uh, nomination. What about you, Tim? Yeah, basically, um, before, I'll, I'll tell you who mine is. However, I'm just going to chuck in something which I, I, I wasn't expecting to even talk about on, on, on a podcast. I mentioned this segment to my dad before we recorded it. And he, off, off his tongue, he said, Johnny Schofield. Do any of you guys know who Johnny Schofield is? Not a clue. Yeah, Unless he's, he's Phil's I, dad. He, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like... He's never mentioned a Johnny Schofield to me. So I was like, surely you're getting him confused. But I couldn't think of anybody's name who ran like Schofield or anything. Anyway, did some digging. Turns out Johnny Schofield played for Wrexham between 1966 and 68, 52 caps. 
Anyway, my dad can tell me if he was like an, an outrageously good goalkeeper, but he said, oh yeah, this, this Schofield guy um, had a metal plate in his head and he would, he would basically catch corners, claim corners with one hand. So we'd run out and literally just, you know, like sort of basketball slam dunk, he'd just grab the ball one hand. I was like, I, I thought my dad was tripping. Never heard this guy. At the time, he's got a metal plate in his head and he catches balls with one hand. <laughs> Turns out this guy is kosher. He did play for Wrexham. Um, he was injured in an explosion at, at Badsley Colliery. He had a fractured skull in a game against Man United when he played for Birmingham, for whom he played for 16 years before coming to Wrexham. He played in two Intercities Bears Cups versus Barcelona and Rome. And he's a League Cup final winner from 1963. Bonkers. Anyway, I just thought that, that deserved an honorary mention. Before <laughs> it, I think it really does. Yeah, so I think it, it was all guy, worth it just for that bonkers. Yeah. Um, anyway, my main guy, Andrew, Andy Marriott, has to be Andy Marriott. Um, he served us with distinction um, between 1993 and 98, 278 appearances. 184 of them were consecutive appearances. You've got to be a half-decent, consistent goalkeeper if you're doing 184 consecutive appearances. Flynn paid £200,000 to Nottingham Forest to get him. Yes, kids, we had money back in the day and we paid <laughs> figures for players. Not many, but when we did pay out, we paid out for quality. And Andy Marriott was exactly that. Commanding, great shot stopper, brilliant in the air. Astute, read the game perfectly. His distribution was quality. He was just, he just had a, a, a really good, strong all-round game that you'd want from a goalkeeper. Um, he got five Wales caps as a result of his form for Wrexham. Um, I mean, you know, I, I don't know. There's not many more superlatives I've got from Andy Marriott. We can all forget about that error between him and Darren at Chesterfield. Let's not talk about that one. But yeah, for me. Um, in my lifetime, certainly um, has to be um, the greatest Wrexham goalkeeper for me for those qualities I've just listed. Nicely summed up. I, mean, I feel bad about the my nomination now when you mentioned how many appearances Marriott's got because I should have qualified. It's not. It's not obviously not just the most technically gifted keeper. Before I say mine, but. I think we should mention probably the most technically gifted keeper we've had or the best overall keeper. We only had him, I thought it was more than this, uh, for 17 games on loan from... Um, it was from United, wasn't No, it wasn't from United. He signed for United afterwards. Stoke, um, it? it was Stoke, that was it. Um, ben Foster, I'm talking about, of course. And we probably, it's fair to say, I think we launched his career. I think he's said that a few times, hasn't he? Because, I mean, obviously where he got spotted was in that LDV Vans final in 2005. And obviously, Sir Alex was there watching Darren, um, his son. And um, he was superb for us that day and that season. Like, you know, we, that was another one, wasn't it? Similar to the FA Trophy. It was nil-nil after 90. It wouldn't have been nil-nil if it wasn't for Ben Foster anyway. He was absolutely superb. So I want to mention him, even though he doesn't have the longevity that Andy Marriott does or Dibble has. Yeah, he's one that stands out in my mind as a quite spectacular keeper. What about you, Andy? Who have you got? Well... I like a good backstory. And there's a few Good. things that make this fella really stand out for me. Jocelyn Maiebe. <laughs> it's a big call, but come on, you've got Marriott and Dibble's gone, even Foster. Who am I left with? I can't go, I can't go Dearden. But 
I did really like my AB, firstly because I love the exotic. I mean, I couldn't get my head around the Flinidadians. Remember that? Those were the three that came across. And there was a keeper in that as well. Does anyone remember his name? Clayton Ince. Yeah, that was it. What was that, sorry? Clayton Ince, wasn't it? He ended up being crew. Oh, was it? Oh, it was a Clayton Ince. So fair enough then. I, I thought there was another one that came across as well. But, you know, when that was a big thing when I was growing up watching Wrexham, having those sort of exotic players. And I think, I think to be honest, I've always thought that Wrexham fans love taking a foreign player to their heart. And for some lad to turn up from Cameroon on trial via Israeli football was just, well, batshit, really. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, what we say about taking a foreign player, there's something about seeing a lad from Douala in Cameroon wandering around the butcher's market or having a fry up with <laughs> Ruby's calf. It's just you don't see it every day. You know, so it's good to see that, but it's it's good for us too. You turn up at a club, you talk to one of the one of the locals there, or you're talking to your pal on a night out, and you're telling him that your keeper's a third choice Cameroonian international who's a minor celebrity at IEK Lanaka. <laughs> but 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 on top of that, I mean, yeah, it was it was a crazy story. It was during that period where where Wrexham was a revolving door, where lots of players, a lot with French sort of heritage, were coming through the coming through Collier's Park, mostly from William Mackay's link-up with Dean Saunders. And maybe it was no difference. And you saw, you just saw another name in the paper and you thought, well, what, what's this one going to be like? But it turns out he was actually pretty good. Okay, yeah, he was erratic. He was inconsistent. He was brilliant one day. He was a car crash the next. But that just added to the mystique of this fella. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, he was gone. No one knows where, why, <laughs> or how. And then, and then for the next couple of seasons, you got a fleeting bit of intel. He's at Kidderminster. Uh, he's on trial at Hereford, but he was never really heard of again. So you got to ask, did he ever really exist? <laughs> Just in my AB. He's like a myth or a gas. I was going to say, actually, you are right. He did put in a couple of decent shifts for us, didn't he? As in, how, how, how many seasons was he with us for? I think he was probably with the club for about two seasons. Now, mm. when he got into the team, he was very good at coming out and claiming crosses. Now, that was... But that was quite integral to how we played. You I mean, we were on the front foot a lot. You needed someone who was solid at the back who would come out and command his area. And Maybe did. I, was, I saw him, you know, put some great performances in and I saw him fall apart on a Tuesday night. Where There's, one occasion, every, yeah. Yeah. There's one occasion he did not command his area. I don't know if you know which one I'm about to mention. Stockport? No, it was Mansfield away on a... Oh, I was at that game. Tuesday night. Yeah. I think I think their keeper might have been Alan Marriott. Not yes. Yeah, no relation. So he goes and, and wallops a um, uh, just a kick out, and he hits it with some ferocity. So I'm thinking, well, that's gone over everybody. It's an easy claim for me, AB. And as I'm, sort of my head's moving slightly to the right, following the flight of the ball, maybe's like literally running out like he's I don't know, like he's about to take on the Krypton Factor assault course. He's he's legging it out as fast as he can. I was like, I, I hope he's going to be all right claiming this. He comes out to literally the very edge of his box. The ball hits the deck. And I'm thinking, because of how slick the pitch is, he's just going to like literally hit the deck and that'll be it. It'll roll into his arms. Instead, it hits the deck. It arcs over a stricken Miebe, who's now got his hands up in the air, full aloft, off the ground, levitating. The ball's bounced over his head on the 18-yard box and gone into the net. Um mm their keeper has scored a goal couldn't believe it but like you said he, he, he was prone to the odd um high profile gaff like any goalkeeper i guess 
He was, but we're still discussing him now. <laughs> That's true. But I think we're discussing him, but I think it's fair to say he's not going to be in our Dream Rex on 11. Sorry, Andy. Right. The last three that we got left. Who, who, who are we picking? Who are we picking? Who's, who's it going to be? I, I feel like I haven't made as much of an emotional shout for Andy Dibble as maybe I should have. But um, I did a bit of research before this, and I've got um, an Andy Dibble fact on um, the website of Mark Griffiths the Wrexham commentator, and it says on his stats section of his website, of the most efficient goalkeepers, can I say, in the club's history. Um, and Andy Dibble is one of only two players on there to have conceded goals at a rate fewer than one per game. So, wow. have that fact, fans. Two things I remember about Dibble. One, he was brilliant on the one-on-one. What, if I saw a striker go through on goal, usually nine times out of ten, it, it's, it's a goal straight away. I would say 50% of the time Dibble would save it. He was commanding. He knew to run out, when to run out. You wouldn't want to mess with him. And this leads me to my second point. I was covering the club at that, that time. And every time I interviewed Andy Dibble, he was just wearing a towel. And it wasn't even a big towel. It was like some off-dirty chewing gum white t- towel. He's just come in and sit down. And I was like, mate, I don't mind. I'll wait 10 minutes for you to get changed. He goes, nah, let's get it done. Yeah, but word has it, everybody else he spoke to after that, he's wearing a full shirt and tie. It was just you who wore the towel. <laughs> All right, come on, let's get towards making a decision. Who is going to be our dream keeper? I mean, I would say, all-round-wise, ability, yes, it's Ben Foster. But mm. growing up, Andy Marriott was probably one of my favourite Wrexham players. He was terrible at claiming crosses, but his shot stopping was absolutely amazing. And for a, for a young kid to see some of the saves he pulled off, it was just breathtaking. And I would go every day of the week that it should be Andy Marriott. Well, you got no skin in this game, so I think that's a fair, fair uh, sort of conclusion to make. Should we go with Andy Marriott with our goalkeeper? I think so. Yeah, I like the I like that classic goalkeeper kit you wore as well. Okay, that settles it then. Andy Marriott is our goalkeeper in our Dream 11, the Mighty Heroes. We'll be doing one of these every podcast. And then I think after the 11 we've done, we'll do a Dream Manager, I think, as well. Um, But before uh, we end the podcast, let's have a quick discussion on the next games. Barnet away next up on Tuesday night. Uh, They're in free fall at the moment. They're really far adrift uh, in the relegation zone. This has to be three points, doesn't it? Well, you say that. (laughs) You say that. Um, <laughs> we, you, we all know that if Wrexham don't get anything but you know minimum four points out of these next two games, the knives are going to be sharpened again. Um, yeah, you know, yesterday was a very, very good point away at a very, very good side. But you know, it, it kind of counts for little if you're not going to back it up. I'd like to think we will. We're, we're a fairly decent run of form. Um, I think. Uh, Kelleher alluded that the, the team spirit in the camp is getting stronger with each game. Um, and that, that can only bode well for us, really. I think we'll be all right. I think, I think oh. yeah, I'm going to go with a win. 2 0. Let's have it. I mean, I don't mind us, um, yeah, like I said, shutting up shop against teams like uh, Sutton, but, but Barnet game is one where I really want to see us come out on the front foot, uh, get wide players like um, Hall Johnson playing. Um, if we do, if we don't attack them, I just, I just don't see when Keats is actually going to really attack a team. I think he's got the defensive part sorted now. I think he's got a good, good back five, as it were. I think French, who's come in, is quite a, quite a solid player. 
Mm. He likes a workman. He likes people to run through brick walls. And I think that was evident yesterday. I think they, they, they are playing for him. They are running for him. Whether they're good enough to, to go straight up, probably not. They could get lucky in the playoffs. I think to really cement the play, place in the playoffs, they need to go to places like Barnet and win. I think we have to mention JJ Hooper as well. Obviously, you know, every Wrexham fan will know about him. Obviously, plays for Barnet. He scored in their last outing and they got hammered 4 1 at home to Yeovil. Um, he scored, I think he scored after 14 minutes. So I think him against. Uh, against our defence will be quite an interesting matchup because, you know, he's a very physical bulldozing presence. And, um, you know, I think a lot of us were, were kind of, not, not gutted, but disappointed to see him leave because I thought he could have done, done a half-decent job for us if he'd have stayed. Um, but yeah, it is what it is. So, um, clearly, he, he, wanted, he wants to stay down that neck of the woods. Um, but he may be playing his trade in the National League South um, before too long. Thank you, everybody, very much for listening to the very first Fearless in Devotion podcast. I've been Reese Williams, and see you next time, Tim. Yeah, take care. Enjoyed it. Uh, Andy, bye-bye. See you after six points. And bye-bye, Liam. I'm on the town. We'll be back very soon next week, probably, but until then, as Liam says, up the town. <laughs>